0: There's a line in that last song I really, really liked. Our God has robbed the grave. If you think about that, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? Our God has robbed the grave. Several years ago on Good Friday, I was listening to a program on the radio. I couldn't tell you what it was or why I was listening to it. But the man who was speaking talked about that day, Good Friday, was a special day. And he was talking about this special person that had been arrested, was innocent, was arrested, was sentenced to die and obviously for those who knew he was talking about Jesus. And in that that commentary that he was making about this special person unnamed on this special day, he suggested that this special person who was arrested and sentenced to death even though innocent was an inspiration to others who also have experienced injustice. He was an inspiration to others that perhaps were accused and, and innocent. And I remember thinking as I was listening to his commentary that uh, that's a wonderful thought, but it misses the point, doesn't it? Misses the point. What, I'm getting flagged in the back, so what am I doing? Kids. Oh, the kids! I told you you would have to do that someday. <laughs> All right, time out. Kids, it's time for you to blast off. So Robin's going out that door. You can follow her, go out this door. flip a coin. Heads you stay, tails you go. Didn't I just say that last week? There would come a Sunday when you'd have to remind me. I was just inspired by that last song. I totally forgot where I was. Um, But I remember listening to this, this guy on the radio and thinking those are wonderful, wonderful thoughts, but it totally misses the point of what Good Friday is all about and especially misses the point of What Easter Sunday is all about. By the time of Jesus, more than 30,000 people have been executed by the Romans in that land of Israel. That small little piece of turf, more than 30,000 people have been nailed to a cross, executed by the Roman government. Many of them probably also innocent, falsely accused. But what was it about Jesus that made his death significant? What was it about Jesus' death that out of 30,000 people, we think of one name today when we think of the word crucifixion? When you hear the word crucifixion, you always think of one name. What is it? Jesus. Jesus. What What made his death so significant? Open the gates of heaven. I'm getting 16 answers at once. What made this death so significant? Open the gates of heaven. Open the gates of heaven. I think we just sang about that. What else? He came out of the grave. Yeah, he came out of the grave. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's risen, right? Someone say he's risen indeed. There you go. You're, you're tracking. This was the most strategic, significant event in history. And I want to share with you three reasons this morning. As, as I've reflected on this, And there's certainly many more reasons than three why the death of Jesus was so significant. But in Luke chapter 23, in Luke's account of the crucifixion, he speaks of it in these terms and describes it this way, beginning in verse 33. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves, and the people stood by watching. Even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself, and us. But the other responded and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and the darkness came over the entire land until the ninth hour. That's noon till three o'clock in the afternoon. Because the sun stopped shining and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And having said this, he died. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God and saying, This man was in fact innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle after watching what had happened began to return home, beating their chests. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing in the distance, seeing these things. And so as I said, there's there's three big ideas here, many others, but three big ideas that have kind of spoken into my heart, into my life this last week. The first reason why Jesus' death was so significant is that the way to God is now wide open. Everything has changed. Everything has changed in how men were relating to the eternal God, to their creator. Everything has changed. Everything. And to understand this, there's this phrase in the middle of this account of Dr. Luke that talks about the the curtain in the temple being torn. And you need to see a picture of the temple to understand this in the temple grounds. And I think we got a picture of the temple that I'm going to show to you. Um, There it is. And so here's an, an artist's drawing of the temple at the time of Christ. And a little more close-up will show you kind of some of the dynamics of what happens on the temple grounds. Because the temple was divided into different portions. There was part of the temple grounds. Boy, i loud right there. I should be standing right here the whole time. Where would it go? This is the spot, the hot spot right here. Huh? Stay here and don't move. Yeah, tell me not to move. Good luck with that plan. Um, and so in the temple area, there were different areas. And you were restricted from approaching to the Holy of Holies where the red arrow is at the back of the temple itself. And so there were the courts of the Gentiles where non-Jews were restricted. They could only come so far. They could only get so close. And sadly for that time, women, there was a court of the women. The women could only get so close. There was a a barrier. There was a restriction. And most were prohibited from approaching into the temple itself. The temple was the place where the priests served and, and the temple was divided into the holy place where you found that, that table of showbread, the, the golden candlesticks, and the, the altar of incense. And then behind that curtain was the Holy of Holies, the place of God's presence. And so access to God was limited. It was restricted. People were kept at a distance. And there was this curtain that hung between the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. And that curtain was only penetrated once a year. And if you read your Bibles, you're aware that on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, it was the high priest who went behind that curtain with the blood of the sacrifice to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And so this curtain, 60 feet long, 30 feet high, 2 inches thick, required, required dozens and dozens of priests, 300 in fact, were required. It was so heavy to install this curtain. But it was the high priest alone who had access into that special place. And so when Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Access is open. Matthew says, because Luke doesn't record the fact that it was torn top to bottom, but Matthew says top to bottom, and the word translated in our English versions, top, could more literally be translated from above which opens up a whole other thought process for me when I think about that curtain being torn from above. above. Who tore the curtain? (laughs) So at this 3 o'clock hour when Jesus died, there's an earthquake, and that curtain is split. And I found myself thinking as I reflected on this, what if you were one of the priests serving in the holy place, As that curtain is torn. What would your instant thoughts be? It's all over. We're all in the presence of God. Would they fall to their knees? Would they turn and run? What would they do? I don't know. But that curtain was torn. And the whole point of the tearing of that curtain. Reminds us. Points us to the simple truth. That the way into God's presence. Is now wide open. God wants relationship with you and me. He wants intimacy with you and me, and he invites us into his presence. Have you ever gone to a a sporting event, a concert, some other event, and discovered that you paid an admission fee of whatever it was, but there was also an opportunity for extra money to get what's called a full access pass. I remember years ago, I had friends that owned a dragster, dragster, and they would travel all around the country and race. But when they were here in Pomona, they asked me to come and to be a part of the team. I was the official chaplain. I got to pray before the dragster went down the run. But I was given a pass that allowed me to leave the stands where all the riffraff was, right? And, And I was allowed, because I had this special pass, to go into the race pits. And I could talk to the drivers. I could talk to the mechanics. I could meet the chief mechanics. Uh, I had total access. You and I are given the total access. Pass for a relationship with God. Is that good news? <laughs> and that's part of the significance of the death of Jesus on the cross. The way to God is now wide open. And there's a couple of passages in the book of Hebrews that uh, speak of this in a fascinating way because it speaks of Jesus as our high priest. That Jesus allowed access into this this holy of holies. In, In Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 11, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling those have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Once for all times, and kind of the key phrase here, that Jesus, imparting that curtain, allowing access into the presence of of the Heavenly Father, if you will, once for all time. The high priest went in behind that curtain once a year, every year, for decades, hundreds of years. Jesus, once for all time, to give us access, full access, into God's presence. The writer to Hebrews continues in chapter 10. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, I'm at verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through, through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure blood. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross. That the way to God is wide open. God offers to you and to me a full access pass. Is that like the greatest news you would ever hear? Full access, relationship with God. The creator of the universe wants to have relationship with you and with me. And the way is wide open. Jesus' death on the cross is also significant for a second reason. Because it was His death on the cross that caused the the victory over sin and death has been won. Jesus conquered sin and paid for sin and conquered death and rising again from the dead. Victory over sin and death. The passage in Luke says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed His last. It wasn't a whisper. It wasn't a whimper, it was a loud shout. Uh, the original language is fascinating because it has a word that sounds real similar to a word in, in English. Phoné, phoné. What word does that sound like? Phoné, phonetics. And so it says, he voiced with a mega voice. He shouted. And the Apostle John tells us in the, John's Gospel what it was that he shouted. One word. One word that Jesus shouted, it's translated with three words in our Bibles, it is finished. The word in the original language is a simple word, tetelestai. That word was used in several fascinating ways in the New Testament time. It was used of a, an artist who had created a masterpiece. Uh, whether that you think of that as a painting, maybe or a sculpture, and and the artist would labor over this creation, this masterpiece, and and then would step back, looking at it, and would say the words, the word to tell us that it's finished, it's complete, it's done. That word was used of a, a business transaction where a bill was paid. You purchased something and you paid for it, and your bill of sale was stamped. And what would it say? Paid in full. That's the word that Jesus shouted at the top of his lungs. It is finished. Paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus shouted a victory shout, if you will. A shout of triumph. It is finished. It's completed. It's done. Again, access into God's presence. Payment for sin. And the door is wide open. It's fascinating if you read a medical doctor's description of what Jesus would have experienced on the cross. And in his opinion, the ability to shout at the top of his lungs was was a challenge. Dr. Truman Davis described what happens in a crucifixion, and he described it this way. The cross is placed on the ground, And the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards onto his shoulders against the wood. The swordsman then drives a heavy square iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and some movement. The left foot is then placed backwards against the right foot. With both feet extended, toes down, the nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed, and the cross is then lifted into place. As the man slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating, fiery pain shoots along the fingers, up the arms, and explodes in the brain. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, not in a deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. Carbon dioxide builds up in his system. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, Searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber of the cross. Then another agony begins, a deep, crushing pain deep in the chest, as the pericardium around the heart slowly fills in serum with serum and begins to compress the heart. It's not almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. <laughs> Feeling the chill of death creeping through his tissues, Jesus was still able to give a victory shot. It is finished. Of course, that was Friday, right? That was Friday. Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And that's the message of the cross. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's not over. It's not done. Jesus' work is finished on the cross. But there's more to come. He's opened the way into God's presence. He has won the victory over sin and death. And the third thought that speaks to me and speaks into my heart is the simple truth that the offer of intimacy with God still stands today. That offer is open today to each one of us. Intimacy with the eternal God, the Creator. The soldier who stood at the cross witnessed everything that Jesus experienced. He was the centurion, which typically meant he was in charge of a group of a hundred men. But today he's on a special detail, crucifixion detail. And so this centurion has followed Jesus from the point where he was... a. Crown of thorns was placed on his head. He was beaten mercilessly and brutally, carried his cross until no longer able to carry it, and the cross was given to someone else to carry in his behalf. He finished that march to to Calvary, Mount Golgotha. And it was there that his body was laid atop at that cross. The nails were driven, and then the cross was dropped into the ground. The centurion witnessed all of that journey. And as Jesus died and shouted, It is finished, the centurion said two things. One, Dr. Luke records for us here, as the centurion observes that this was an innocent man. Matthew, in his gospel, tells us that the centurion also said, Truly, this was the Son of God. He was so struck with what he witnessed, so impacted by what he observed he was impressed with the simple truth this is the son of God it's fascinating to me that the response of the centurion stands in sharp contrast to others that were there at the cross the scriptures say that the crowd left returning to their homes beating their breasts which typically is a sign of remorse regret regret guilt. They walked away from what they had witnessed, convicted that it was all wrong. Should have never happened. They felt remorse and guilt. But they walked away. They left. The scripture says that others sneered. (laughs) I like that word, don't you? They sneered at Jesus. They laughed. They made fun. They mocked. That still happens today. Just as some, like the centurion, look at Jesus and say, truly this is the Son of God. Others walk away, turning their back and leaving as did the crowds. Some today, just like these who who sneered and mocked and laughed. I found this, this meme on the internet. It's been two or three years ago now. But we still, in our culture today, enjoy mocking Jesus. And this simple little deal has God speaking. Remember, if you don't sin, then Jesus died for nothing. So, what should you do? Sin away, blasphemy. People today yet mock and sneer and laugh. Many even use the name of Jesus as a a curse word. A word to express disgust, anger. A curse word. Just like they did 2,000 years ago. The scripture says that some sneered and others hurled abuse. Just abusive language, abusive words. It's all the same today. It's all the same today. Some like the centurion. Truly this is the Son of God. Others mock, sneer, laugh. To them Jesus is a joke. And yet the eternal God extends this offer of intimacy for each one of us. The creator of the universe, the creator of each one of us, desires relationship and intimacy. Intimacy. With me and with you. That that, that ought to stagger us. That ought to overwhelm us. That ought to amaze us. Why should He care about me? Or why should He care about you? Why? Does that make any sense at all? But He desires relationship. And it was Jesus' death on the cross that opened the way. Opened the way into God's presence. Have you taken advantage of God's invitation? Have you responded to God's open access pass, if you will? I like to ask people from time to time as I have opportunity in conversation. I like to ask a simple question. What if? What if the whole purpose of life is to know God. To know Him in a very real and personal way. What if? What if the whole purpose of life was to know God in a very real and very personal way? And you missed it? Wouldn't that be a tragedy? And I tell you very, very honestly, in my 71 years on this planet, one of the things that I've discovered is it would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy. To miss relationship with the eternal God. He invites us into his presence. And so I think this morning, as I think of the significance of Jesus' death on the cross, that the way to God is wide open, victory over sin and death has been proclaimed, the the crucified Jesus rose again from the dead in testimony of God's acceptance of the sacrifice for sin, and that offer continues to be open to us. Three things that I think of as I respond to what God has done for me, and what Jesus has done for me. The first is I can now go to God with my cares, my concerns. He's listening, he pays attention. We have relationship. And so, as the writer to the Hebrews said so very simply. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We have full access to come to the eternal God with our cares, our concerns. (laughs) Secondly, I go to Jesus for salvation. Just as the centurion had a significant role in Jesus' death and yet at the conclusion of that significant strategic event to acknowledge Jesus. Truly this was the Son of God. The offer is there. The opportunity is there. Go to Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, for eternal life. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Perhaps the most familiar of all portions of Scripture is that great verse in John's Gospel, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that that offer stands today, just as it did on that significant day 2,000 years ago. Go to God with your concerns. Go to Jesus for salvation. And then for those of us who have come to Jesus, those of us who have accepted that free gift of forgiveness, eternal life, heaven, go to others with the message of hope and joy. That's how we should be responding this morning. Going to others with the message This morning, you may feel like there's like this brick wall between you and God. You may feel like there's this great chasm, this great gulf, this great separation. And the message this morning from Luke's account of the gospel is that 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 wall's been torn down. (laughs) The the curtain's been torn. We have full access into God's presence. John Newton, who wrote the great uh, hymn, Amazing Grace was a wicked, vile, immoral, gross man before he came to know Jesus. He was a slave trader. He was the the worst of the worst. And, And he would agree with everything that I just said. And in addition to the great hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton wrote other things. And one of the things that he wrote... I want to share with you as I conclude. He wrote this poem. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I know not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive, this blood is for your ransom paid, I died that you may live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy my spirit now is filled, that I should such a life destroy. Yet live, by him I killed. See, John Newton came to the point in his life where he understood that he stood before the, a holy, righteous God. Sinful, rebellious, going his own way, doing his own thing, living a life distant from God. And when he met Jesus, that all changed! When he came to know Jesus and came into that intimate relationship with his Heavenly Father, everything changed. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, that you're standing in a courtroom accused of a capital crime, guilty, found guilty, judged to be guilty, and the judges preparing to pronounce final sentence, sending you off to execution. And imagine that as that judge raises his gavel to conclude the courtroom proceedings, the back door of the courtroom bursts open and a man walks in and says, Wait! And you turn and look. Someone you've never met, someone you've never seen, But he comes into the courtroom and stands before the judge and says, Your Honor, I'm here to take the accused's place. I'm here to be executed in his place, to take his place. And the judge turns to you then and says, The debt is paid. You're free to go. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He came into God's courtroom And he took my penalty, your penalty, in my place. And now that access is wide open to God, and he invites you to come into relationship with him. He invites you, as the scriptures say, to repent and to believe, to turn from sin and disobedience, and to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, giving you access to God's presence. And so this morning, if you've come, you've come to Jesus for salvation. You're trusting Him this morning for forgiveness of sin, eternal life. Our response should be one of praise and joy and celebration for sure, right? response also of going to others with the good news. And I would suggest if you're here this morning, you've never come to Jesus. You've never invited Him into your life. You've never put your faith and trust in Him and what He did for you on the cross. The message this morning from Luke's Gospel is, it's wide open. God invites you to come. And so I want to pray and invite our worship team to come and to lead us in song as we conclude. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if you'd like to have conversation with somebody, with myself or one of our elders or deacons, um as we sing, I'm going to invite any of our elders and deacons that are free and able to do that to come and join me over here in this corner. And if you'd like to come, have conversation, pray about anything, but especially if you'd like to know more about the relationship with Jesus, we'd love to have that conversation with you. So come and join Ron and me down here in this corner if you'd like. Worship team is going to come. Let me pray. Our oh, Father in Heaven, I'm staggered. By the reality of the cross I'm staggered By the thought that you Care about me You love me I'm staggered at the thought that You so loved Roy That you gave your one And only son That if Roy would believe Would not perish But Roy would have eternal life That thought Staggers me this morning and I pray this morning that you would stagger each one of us with the truth. The truth of a crucified Savior. The truth of open access for relationship with you. To stagger us this morning with the truth of the resurrection. A risen Savior. We don't serve a dead body hanging on a cross. We serve a risen, living King Jesus. And so speak into our hearts, speak into our lives. Stagger us with the overwhelming reality of your great life. Thank you for doing that. As we worship you together, we're grateful. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus, our Savior. We give you thanks. Amen. Come if you'd like to join us and pray with us. We'll be down here in the corner.
1: pray. These guys up here love you. They want to pray with you. Even if you just need some prayer. Even if you just need someone to lay their hand on you and say, hey, you know what? We're here for you. Just come on up right now. We're going to sing a song. I know you know it. You didn't know a lot of the other ones, but you know this one. (laughs) Sing it because he lives.
0: Time. At least I've seen some half faces I've never seen before. And I've met a few. I'd love to meet the others that are visiting as well. So please give me the opportunity to bump an elbow or see eyes or whatever. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. We have come this morning to the foot of the cross. We've seen our sacrifice, Savior. We've come this morning to the empty tomb and we've celebrated the truth that He is risen. Right on cue. Well done. (laughs) So we've celebrated the fact that he is risen. He's coming again. And because He lives, we can face tomorrow. And so as we conclude and dismiss, let me just extend the invitation again. A few of us will remain down here. If you'd like just to meet with someone and pray together, we'd love to pray for you, pray with you. you have questions about the Lord, about knowing God in a personal way in your life, we'd love to have that conversation as well. So as you go out these doors this morning, you go to a world that needs to hear what you've heard this morning. So my prayer is that you will go this morning in the power of the words of Jesus. When he said that you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in, in Norwalk and in Whittier and Pico Rivera and all of California and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Well, he said something similar to that anyway. So go in the power of the risen Lord Jesus this morning. God bless you. Joy.